Bienvenidos, and welcome to the Jacobin Sports Show. I am your host, Matthew Miranda. Happy to be here for episode number 93 on our march towards 100. 93 for me brings up, in my mind, the year 1993. 1993 was my... God, I was pretty much the same height as I am now, or six feet tall. And pretty much the same shoe size, which was 15. Um, but I was rail thin. I weighed like probably a buck 20. Um, so I was a skinny kid with a giant caterpillar mustache and enormous feet. And that year when I played baseball, uh, we could not find this is the pre internet, you know, primordial days where you could only buy things you could physically find. And there were no stores anywhere in the Rochester area that had cleats that fit me. Um, I couldn't find baseball cleats in a 15. So a friend of my father's happened to, to hear what was going on from him, and he gifted me a pair of size 15 baseball cleats. This was a guy who knew, friend of a friend somehow knew, like a former major league player, and this was a wonderful, generous um, act by this person. The thing is that the cleats, in addition to being enormous, because my feet were enormous, were very, very, very red. And I don't use that adjective lightly because I really do feel like if there is a single color in the spectrum that never needs the word very in front of it, much less two or three of them, it's red. Red is as intensely what it is as pretty much any word in the English language. But these shoes were red. Our uniforms, on the other hand, were yellow. Um, and my the pants were white. So between the yellow and the white and the red and my tall skinny ass self with the giant red feet i looked like ronald mcdonald playing first base i could play let there be no mistake but just i looked like a freaking goofball um so when i hear the number 93 that is what i think of um today's episode will feature just a brief update on some possible upcoming changes to the jacobin sports show um some of which i would really 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 appreciate um feedback on and then we'll get into a Thanksgiving episode devoted to tradition, um, because some traditions are are more worth keeping than others. But first, um, a lot of things have been going on. Um, I have a new full-time job, which is exciting. I'm writing for a video game for the next four months. Um, I'm still teaching. My semester is not anywhere near over, so the next three weeks will be interesting since I'll be wrapping up a semester with 75 writing students and learning this new 40-hour-a-week job, but I'm very excited about it. Um, and some things are going to be changing in my life going forward, and there may be some changes coming also to this podcast. And just to, to give you a brief history lesson, uh, to give some context of what may be coming next, uh, Chicken Sports Show started, I think, good Lord, in 2020. Um, and originally, you know, we were supported by Jacobin Magazine, um, specifically Bhaskar Sankara. Um, we had a producer at the time, the wonderful Connor Gillies, and also there was a co-host, the lovely, lovely Jonah Birch. Uh, and we had support from Jacobin for a couple of years, but it had been clear from the start that the hope was that we would build up enough of an audience that it would become a like a customer supported, like a uh, an audience supported 
uh, self-supported thing, not something that Jacobin was going to fund forever. So after a few years, Jacobin pulled out um, in terms of support and in terms of involvement. Connor left. Um, so it was for a while just me and Jonah. And then Jonah's life took him in new directions. Last I've heard from him, he sounded happy. So I think that's awesome. Um, but it's become very much a one-person operation where I'm trying to find guests. I'm, I'm, you know, record the episodes. I produce the episodes, which in and of itself is not difficult, except like every year or so, one of these platforms changes their their terms of service, and it becomes like not worth holding on to unless you're really monetizing podcasts. And so, I've learned Streamyard. I've learned Zoom. I learned um, what was the one before Streamyard? Oh God, I can pick Zencaster. Um, it's when so when you're one person and you have a kid and you have a job and you have just a life, um, it can be sometimes a lot for one person. I love it, but it's just me. And I think that Jacobin maybe now wants like to have no association with the show because um, I got an email recently with a suggested like new logo for the show and it's literally been years since i've heard from anyone about this show like it's just been me for at least it's been me for a while um and even when it was me and jonah for a while like it was just me and jonah so i got an email out of nowhere with this suggested new logo that i should use for the show from um someone at jacobin and the logo is this very generic looking plain ass thing that just says sports show it doesn't doesn't say anything it's it's the most no frills basic logo you could see my assumption i might be incorrect but my assumption is that when you basically have radio silence for a while and then also hear from the other side like hey why don't you change the look of your show and we'll help you get started with that with this graphic that completely has nothing to do with what your name actually has been I'm guessing like they maybe that's a, a backhanded way of saying like please don't call yourself Jacobin Sports anymore because you're not a part of Jacobin, which is fine. Um I don't love the approach if that's what it is, but message totally received. And really I had already checked um a while ago, pretty shortly after Jonah left. I had I had tried to check on Twitter uh and I think on the on the Patreon to see if anybody had suggestions for new show names because we've we've been doing this a while we have a pretty steady audience that's that's stuck with the show through everything i don't want to suddenly change the name and like lose people but i don't want to have you know the word jack of it in the show when they have nothing to do with the show and because i have no social media presence whatsoever i got like no feedback on that question so i'm asking anyone listening to this sos please if you have any thoughts for keep the show Keep it called Jacobin Sports Show, you know, or you should change it. Here's an idea. If you have any thoughts, please share. All I have right now is to call it possibly Miranda Writes, R-I-T-E-S. And I, I don't, that's just because I have a, a, a substack called Miranda Writes with a W. Clearly, I have not thought this out. If you are interested in any kind of opinion, the world is always asking for an opinion. I'm asking you, do you have a name in mind? Also, I'm wondering, I got really excited in the episode where I interviewed Warren Light from Law & Order because we spent 80-90% of the episode just talking about the, the WGA strike and details of 
uh, like the lived and labor reality for so many of the the writers who were on at that point i think had just come off of the yeah they had just settled but it was a really exciting episode i thought it was really great to talk about all these these things and i'm wondering like and i'm very interested again if you're listening do you like the show just being about pretty much sports like obviously we intersect with sports as part of society there's no way of escaping that but usually the focus is sports centered do you like that do you want that to continue do you think yeah hey if you want to bring on people from other areas like that would be cool we could talk to labor people we could talk to i have interest in all kinds of places i don't know where you as an audience want to go like i love to talk about writing but that has very little to do with labor and sports necessarily is that something you would want to hear um or do you if you feel like no i like the show the way it's been let me know because I'm trying to settle right now. I want to get to 100 episodes as Jacobin Sports Show, and then I want to, I think, take it in a at least a new name and maybe a new direction. But I'm really interested in in what you think about that. So, if you have thoughts, you can basically find me on Twitter at this point. I don't go on the Jacobin Twitter much as much as I used to. Um, but if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at Matthew E Miranda. Um, you can always email the show, jacobinsportshow at gmail.com. Um, you know what? I just realized I actually may have just given you the wrong email. It is jacobinsports at gmail.com. Um, just let me know. That is all for the big picture stuff. As far as today's episode, again, I really want to focus just on Thanksgiving a day that is all about tradition. Many traditions in our life are worth keeping alive. Some of these traditions should have been strangled in the crib long ago. Today I bring you a few long-running traditions from the world of sports still rearing their heads today. And we begin with the tradition of rich white billionaire angst. Jim Irsay, owner of the Indianapolis Colts, has had an interesting couple of interesting couple of tweets from Jim Irsay. Um, Jim Irsay is apparently pissed off that someone <laughs> that, that he was he was on he was on HBO's um, Real Sports and he was being interviewed by Andrea Kramer, and I think she brought up in 2014 Irsay was arrested um, for driving under the influence of drugs at least i don't i don't remember now or i don't know if alcohol was involved but there were when he came out of the car in his pill bottles everywhere um he had had hip surgery according to ursay somehow he was profiled and prejudiced against by the police who decided to come after him for dui because he is specifically a rich white billionaire. And as any American knows, uh, since their creation, the police have been all about going after rich white billionaires. Um, so RSA was very, very upset about, has apparently been pissed about it for a while. And he, he came out about this, you know, to Andrea Kramer. And Kramer says, you know, you realize what this makes you sound like. And he's like, I don't care. He's very just defiantly convinced that there is a vast blue shield conspiracy to come get Jim Irsay of the Indianapolis Colts for some reason. Um, I'm not really sure what it is. He hasn't expressed it yet. 
And then I guess they were talking about it on uh, ESPN's first take. And Jim Irsay came after the host of ESPN's first take. And he came after her in a way. <laughs> this was kind of like part and parcel, but also like part of what makes it so horrifying, which is, I guess, another tradition. Um, he didn't even give the woman the respect initially of calling her by her name. Let me read you what Ursay said. And then um, she did respond um, today or yesterday. But let me, here we go. Jim Ursay said, so first he said specifically to Kramer, I'm prejudiced against because I'm a rich white billionaire. If I'm just the average guy down the block, they're not pulling me in, of course. Um, he also went on to say, I don't care what it sounds like. It's the truth. I could give a damn what people think or how anything sounds or sounds like. The truth is the truth, and I know the truth. So first we have that. Then I know on first take that Christopher Russo, uh, another rich white man, had uh, some negative comments to say about Ursay. Um, and Ursay interestingly came back very aggressively at a woman named Kimberly Martin. Um, Kimberly Martin has been on first take for a while. Ursay's tweet after he was a subject on the show said, quote, and on first take, the woman that preceded Stephen A, how dare you pretend to know me? I don't know your name and I don't care to... So here we have the classic tradition of I am irate and lashing out, but I'm going to make it seem like this is entirely about you. I'm basically going to gaslight you while I abuse you because to say I don't know your name and I don't care to normally suggests a lack of interest in someone. There's strangers every day that you walk past. You don't know their name and you don't care to. But when you're making a point to go complain to millions of people, via your social media about one specific human being that you're going out of your way to describe in a pejorative dismissive way, dismissive way without naming, it's clear that you care. So we have that tradition going on. Then we have the classic rich white also victim tradition of somehow invoking race against uh, a person of color to assert yourself as as superior to them he then wrote so it's cringe already and then Ursay wrote wrote quote if my black mother dorothy was still alive you'd be in some big hot water you are mean and ugly you're a nothing burger so you read this and you think oh how did i go all these years and not realize that jim Ursay was biracial oh because he's not um, because when he talks about his black mother, Dorothy, he's not talking about the woman who gave him life and brought him into this world. He's talking about a nanny that he grew up with named Dorothy. So he's invoking the fact that he had a nanny to put Kimberly Martin, an actual black woman, in her place for Chris Russo saying things about him, apparently. Um, Martin you know, who didn't need to give any attention to this nonsense, just replied uh, on Twitter with the correct spelling of the word your, which was something Ursay was unable to provide. And, you know, I, I'm not like a, oh, you spelled like, but that's a nice way by Martin of like, I'm not going to get into this, but I see you and I know that you're a joke. 
Like, I respect the way that she handled that. Ursay also made a point then of following up in his tweets that, and this is another, the classic, classic tradition of the 1% handed everything on a silver platter, like uber capitalist, desperately pushing the narrative that like, hey, I had to work for what I have. Like, I don't know about you, buddy, but I earned my billions. And then the tradition, it's only about probably 20 years old, but the tradition of going on wikipedia.com and learning just enough about someone to quickly realize they're full of shit. Jim Arce graduated from Southern Methodist University in 1982 with a degree in broadcast journalism. Hold that in the back of your mind. He graduated with a degree in broadcast journalism. Think about what broadcast journalists do. Jim Ursay's father, Robert Ursay, built a $150 million fortune through heating and air conditioning companies. Ursay was 12 years old when his father acquired the NFL's Baltimore Colts in a deal where he initially bought the LA Rams and then swapped franchises with them. Um, Carl Rosenblum, who was owner of the Colts at the time. So Jim Arce, who wants you to know, I worked for everything I have. I worked for my living. He was born to a man who built a $150 million fortune and who then purchased an NFL team. Two years after graduating college with that bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism, Jim Irsay was named vice president and general manager of the Colts. Find me anywhere in creation a 25-year-old two years into their bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism who's named VP and GM of an NFL team, of a pro, of a pro sports team, of a billion-dollar franchise. Even at the time... They probably weren't a billion-dollar franchise in 1984, but they were not a mom-and-pop store down the street. But Jim Irsay needs you to know he earned everything that he got, even though Robert Irsay was a millionaire 150 times over and was an NFL owner before Jim Irsay was a teenager. And he needs Kimberly Martin to know that as a black woman, she has no right to say anything to him because he once had a nanny named Dorothy. So there's your Jim Irsay tradition. Unexpected bedfellows in these traditions that need to go. Greg Popovich, who's usually a man, when he speaks out, he's usually, he's usually punching up. Greg Popovich is often uh, speaking power to power. But Greg Popovich, sadly, decided last night to continue the tradition of the white man's burden, or really in this case, I mean, I went with white man's burden because that's what the terminology originally is, but the idea that like the world needs you to let everyone know how it should be. So Greg Popovich coached the San Antonio Spurs. They're hosting the LA Clippers. Kawhi Leonard is the Clippers best player. He was obviously for many, many years, um, a great spur. He was the finals MVP in 2014. Um, he really blossomed from a, exciting young player to one of the handful of best players in the world while he was in San Antonio. And then there was beef between Kawhi and the Spurs, particularly in medical matters. It, it seemed like the team had one notion of how 
he should be rehabilitating and he and his camp had a different notion yada 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 he ends up getting traded to toronto and then when he finally can decide where he wants to go he goes back to la which is where he grew up so it's been years now it's been about four years since he left last night the clippers are in san antonio Kawhi leonard is at the foul line people are booing him greg popovich and oh just for a second as far as booing goes so the fans were booing Kawhi leonard at the free throw line one of the first things i remember when i started watching basketball as a kid was the the routine in any arena when the when the visiting team's best player got to the foul line that player was booed and it struck it was a very interesting like kind of cultural pattern to notice as a kid like it was it was this public you know unofficial but clearly de facto way of the public using their voice to acknowledge this is the best player like this is the one that you know we really don't want to do well it was something very i thought charming about it just like when i was a kid and and teams would win titles like fans would rush the field or fans would run on the court and there was just something spontaneous and organic and public um in a in a in a spectacle broadcast sports where more and more and more you know, the fans are specifically framed in a certain way and allotted only certain um, certain significance. So to have a time where, oh my God, like everyone's booing Kawhi Leonard, great. It's, it's not over the top. It, it's done at every single level of basketball. People in high school get booed shooting free throws. People in wheelchair basketball get booed shooting free throws. If you play basketball in a video game, they will boo you shooting free throws it's it's completely innocuous it is a tradition as old as the ball bouncing that's how far it goes back what's not a tradition and what i hope does not become one popovich apparently took great offense to this went over to the pa announcer who like speaks to the arena took the microphone and popovich told the crowd quote excuse me for a second and i'm not nearly as as gruff and have the attitude that he did excuse me for a second can we stop all the booing and let these guys play it's got no class it's not who we are knock off the booing thank god the spurs fans began to boo more because you know that popovich thought he was going to drop the mic and this roar would go up from the crowd and once again the great man would be affirmed and the rest of us unwashed masses would be lucky that he dropped this bit of civility and class into our lives. We don't need it from Greg Popovich. First of all, as I said, booing is not... Oh, and then after the game, asked about it, Popovich pulls his cute little attitude where he, he refuses to, to get into it. He, somebody asked him about it and he says you don't poke the bear and they keep the reporters keep trying to ask follow-ups and he says quote i just told you why i did it i spoke english i just told you anybody that knows anything about sports knows that you don't poke the bear that's my answer end quote again first of all booing at the foul line is not poking the bear i don't know what greg popovich wants spurs fans to do when the opponent is at the line should they go mute 
Should they turn their backs to the action? Should they cheer? What do you want them to do? Four years ago, interestingly enough, Greg Popovich, after Kawhi forced his way out in the trade, uh, had this to say, quote, Kawhi was a great player, but he wasn't a leader. Manu, Ginobili, and Patty Mills were the leaders. Kawhi's talent will always be missed, but leadership wasn't his deal at the time. Wow. You know, if I were Kawhi Leonard, and I cared at all about what anybody anywhere in the world says, I think I'd be more cool with 18,000 fans of another team giving me some very pedestrian booze during the game than I would be with the man that I worked with for years and and found my place in the league and grew into, you know, adulthood and all this and my, my career peaking. That guy talking about how I wasn't a leader. Just if we want to talk about poking the bear. Thirdly, the Spurs, after losing that game to the Clippers, are now 3-12, and which is the third worst record in the NBA, and proud owners of a 10-game losing streak. If there are human beings willing to spend their time and money on Thanksgiving Eve driving to the arena to watch one of the NBA's worst teams continue to lose, Popovich should be embracing these people and thanking these people, not castigating them because they care enough to try and throw off the other team. Again, at his best, Popovich punches up. He has a credibility that a lot of uh, military critics and and American political critics, especially in sports, don't have. Popovich attended the the Air Force Academy, um, graduated with a degree in Soviet studies. He did five years active duty in the Air Force, completed Air Force intelligence training, considered a career with the CIA. Thankfully, was did not follow through with that. But he's a very welcome voice when he's punching up. And a millionaire basketball coach haranguing the working public for something that he selectively considers a breach of etiquette is just gross. So that's a tradition. Hopefully that will go away. You may remember if you, if you recall the malice at the palace, um, Larry Brown was the coach of the Pistons at the time. And like in the middle of just this chaos and mayhem, like there are fights on the floor. There are fights in the stand. Players are beating up fans. It's going completely crazy. It's the most wild scene you've ever seen. And Larry Brown furiously is trying to grab the PA mic and like tell everyone to stop. And just like Popovich, you could, if you if you ever go back to footage of the Malice of the Palace, just to watch the the rage on Larry Brown's face when the mic won't work, and you can see this great man is convinced that just like his players who are in a in a in a position beneath him in the hierarchy, he's used to like. I say something, it goes. I yell, they behave. Like Popovich, same deal. The idea that they don't have complete power over everybody when they want it, not a good look, man. Something that I hope does not become a tradition on the show, I'm going to talk about a couple of Charlotte Hornets um, because it's part of a much larger conversation that some people are having and that sadly... Uh, the NBA is not having. And these two Charlotte Hornets are LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges. I wrote about this uh, in a recap um, recently when the Knicks faced Charlotte. It was Bridges' second game back um, 
since he was initially suspended for a year plus um, for uh, a, a violent domestic violence attack. Um, if you are someone who has you know no desire to hear details, I'm not going to glorify anything here, but I think in order to talk about the story and to talk about the NBA's responsibility and failing in it, I, I do think it's worth knowing like what we're actually dealing with. So just a quick, a quick summary of everything leading up to this um, Bridges and LaMelo Ball juxtaposition. Uh, Bridges was initially arrested um, after being charged with attacking and strangling the mother of his children. Um, a medical discharge form diagnosed her after the attack with a concussion, a fractured nasal bone, a bruised rib, uh, multiple contusions, and a strained neck muscle. Bridges was charged with three felonies. Uh, he received three years probation after this. When he came back, after being gone for a year, he signed a one-year uh, contract extension with the Hornets. At the press conference to announce the deal, uh, he apologized specifically to his family. Um, he apologized for embarrassing them. Uh, no mention of the victim. Um, he talked about being the same kid that they had drafted five years ago. And it came out after that point that um, Bridges and the mother of the, the child, um, they had a custody agreement that they were maintaining. Uh, all exchanges had to be peaceful and occur through a neutral third party. And then a few months later, Bridges was again um, issued a summons for arrest for violating the protective order. He was charged this time uh, with throwing pool balls at her car with the children in it which caused the windshield to smash and dented multiple windows. He's accused of telling her that if she said anything to the police, he would withhold future child support. He was charged with child abuse, injury to personal property, threatening the woman and damaging her car. This is not long after uh, Kevin Porter Jr., another NBA player who currently is without a team. Um, Kevin Porter Jr. Was, a, was arrested after his girlfriend suffered lacerations to her face, fractured neck vertebrae, uh, cut above her eye, according to prosecutors in court. Two weeks after Miles Bridges' second assault on the mother of his children, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, was asked about it um, by Charles Barkley on TNT. Adam Silver, as the commissioner, has the authority to put any NBA player linked to domestic violence, whether they've been convicted or whether they've only been accused. Silver has the authority to place players on administrative leave before a trial or after a trial. And Silver's response was, when Barkley was like, what are we doing about all this violence against women? Part of Silver's answer was, of course, if a guy does cross the line, the consequences are enormous. So remember, Kevin Porter, who already had multiple incidents of, of violent behavior 
within the NBA sphere. He, he threw soup at a coach once. Um, he's had other legal issues. This is not his first time being in trouble. Miles Bridges has now literally been arrested two years in a row for violent domestic violence assault against the mother of his children. And Adam Silver says, hey, if somebody crosses the line, consequences are enormous. And then maybe a month after the second Bridges uh, attack, the Charlotte Hornets released a statement saying that he's eligible to return to the active roster and that, quote, we are comfortable with Miles returning. So Adam Silver says if they cross the line, consequences are enormous. I wish I could get Adam Silver on this show. I wish I could ask him, what is the line? Kevin Porter has not crossed the line yet. Kevin Porter, after assaulting his girlfriend, instead of just being cut from a team, he ended up getting, Houston ended up working him into a trade with Oklahoma City. It was it was a minimal, minimal, like it was really just financial wonkery to like save a little money here and move a little thing there. It didn't materially change either team's roster. But again, someone looked at Porter in that situation and saw an opportunity to exploit it. They saw a chance to capitalize on this awful human story. And the NBA said business as usual. And Miles Bridges beat his children's mother in front of them. And then a year later, attacked her again in front of them destroyed her car with the children inside it, smashed windows with the children inside it. Adam Silver says, if he crosses the line, the consequences will be enormous. What is the line? Does Mile Bridges have to kill this woman to cross the line? Has the NBA now just learned nothing from the NFL? Is this a Ray Rice situation where because there's no footage, they can keep pretending that it's not what it is? Do we have to actually see it? The mother in this case, she herself publicized the injuries after the first attack. Like, how much evidence do you need that the line was crossed last year? Apparently, Adam Silver needs more. This became especially disgusting when, while I was watching that Nick game against the Hornets, LaMelo Ball is running up and down the floor with what looks like a giant like AirPod in his left ear. There's this big, white, conspicuous object. And then when he gets to the foul line, you can see that it's not a, it's not an AirPod. And if, I, I keep feeling like I have to clarify. Like if there were an NBA player who would be the first to play a game while listening to music, I really believe it could be the mellow ball. I don't say that as an insult. I think he has some nice chill vibe to him, and I, I could see that. But what was happening was LaMelo Ball had been forced by the NBA to wear a cover of a tattoo behind his left ear because the tattoo features the logo for Ball's personal clothing brand. And the NBA takes very seriously the human body when it comes to advertising space. You can advertise, you know, all over players' bodies on their jerseys if you're the NBA. But if you are the player yourself, you do not have a right to your body. 
the NBA takes that very seriously. LaMelo Ball clearly crossed a line. The NBA does not apparently take the bodies of domestic violence victims quite as seriously as it does LaMelo Ball's ear space. So hopefully this is not a story that we will have to keep repeating in the future, but if you're studying trends, we'll probably be back. Something that I'm sure will not be a tradition because it's just so weird and dark and sad. Um, Matt Peckrave, who was a hockey player in the United Kingdom, has been charged with manslaughter and the death of Adam Johnson. Uh, you may have read or seen about this. Uh, Adam Johnson, who was a former NHL player, uh, died in a match. Johnson played for the Nottingham Panthers. Petgrave plays for the Sheffield. Played for the Sheffield Steelers. Um, there was an accident. Johnson was bringing the puck, or Johnson was coming up the ice, crossing the blue line. And as he was coming, if you were in the stands looking down, as Johnson starts coming down the blue line from the top, Petgrave, the defender, is coming up toward him. I've seen the the clip. It looks awkward. I don't know why. Petgrave basically loses his balance and goes down. His skate comes out and hits Johnson in the neck. And after it happened, he cut Johnson's neck. Um, Johnson had to leave the arena. They tried to get him to a hospital. He died before he could get there. He bled out. It's a very strange looking clip. Um, being completely real with you, it doesn't look to me like a natural fall. It looks to me like Petgrave's foot extends out in a weird way. There's no way to know. And again, the only person who knows is Petgrave. And if it could totally be an accident. And what could be worse than like it's an accident and you happen to go down in an awkward way that makes it look intentional? Like it's all terrible. Um, Petgrave is being charged with unlawful act manslaughter. There's two classes in England of involuntary manslaughter. There's manslaughter by gross negligence and there's unlawful act manslaughter. The second one, which Petgrave is being charged with, is when someone is killed, but the person who has killed them has not intended to do so, but has done something to death. Um, sentences in these cases often run up to 10 years. Just a very sad story. Um, no matter what, it's sad. If Petgrave is totally an innocent victim in this, it's very sad. And he still might go to jail. Um, and if it wasn't innocent, then God knows what you say about it. But the last story I wanted to mention has nothing to do with sports, but I just couldn't. You've probably seen it by now. Um, there was a Senate hearing. Bernie Sanders was was part of the crew running it. And Mark Wayne Mullen, who's a Republican from Oklahoma, starts talking to Sean O'Brien, who's the president of the Teamsters. And <laughs> Mark Wayne Mullen basically calls out Sean O'Brien tweets, um, hinting at O'Brien's like willingness to throw down fisticuffs with Mullen. And Mullen, like right there in the Senate hearing, after he's done quoting O'Brien's words back to him, is like, you know, you want to go? <laughs> O'Brien is like, yeah, let's go. And Mark Wayne Mullen literally stands up. Like he's going to go, like he's ready to step outside and fight this man. And poor Bernie Sanders, like the weary parent threatening to turn the car around, is like trying to, and I just, 
I don't know why. There's nothing specific to it. You can literally, you can literally close your eyes and stick your hand in anything that you find online on so any. There is an endless supply of things that happen that make you be like, what is going on? Like really at its basic, most simple, what is going on? And seeing that, man. I know this is a pod, but I have I have no words. Um I have no words. I hope you saw it. If you didn't see it, just Google Mullen O'Brien um senate and it's so sad and funny and pathetic and all the things so that's about it um that's everything i wanted to go over for you in this episode um please you can follow us on twitter at jackman sports um you can email jackman sports at gmail.com follow me on twitter if you do not and would like to matthew e miranda I really, really, really would love to hear any thoughts you have about name suggestions for the show, direction, keep it the way it is, expand, anything else you have in mind, please just let me know. Um, Subscribe to the Patreon. There's still a handful of you that have stuck in uh, through everything, and I really am so thankful for you. I love doing this. I enjoy doing this. It's hard to do it because there's very little evidence that once you put it out there, you don't know what anyone's getting from it. It's nice to know, though, that some of you have, have valued it enough um, to have it be a part of your life now for a few years. So thank you, everyone, for that. Thank you for lending me your ear for these 40-ish minutes. That's all for now. I'll be back in a little bit. Peace, everybody. <laughs>